grace in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, hello, everyone. Hello. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Kevin Jackson, and I am an elder here at Winter Road Christian Church, and I am excited to be here. Uh, uh, Randy, our, uh, our, our pastor, is out of the country, won't be back until July, and so I'm one of the people he asked to, to uh, take his place for a Sunday. Um, if, you, uh, if you're new, if you're visiting, um, I'm going to offer the same disclo- disclaimer that Dan Pack who preached last week, and that is, you know, I'm not the real guy, right? I'm just, I'm just the stand-in, the, you know, that guy, you know. Um, so, uh, um, so I just want a full disclosure there. Uh, the other thing is that I'm wearing a jacket now, but I'm taking it off. I just wanted you to know that I brought a jacket to wear, but I'm going to take it off now. Uh, usually, I'm really cold. Um, in the sanctuary, but uh, for some reason this Sunday, I'm not cold at all. <laughs> uh, but I am excited to be here, and uh, uh, so I'm going to uh, uh, offer a prayer before we get started, and uh, I-, I just want you to know I'm expecting something supernatural this morning, and so, uh, and so if you'll pray with me, uh, um, I think we'll get started. Father in heaven, uh, what a privilege it is to be in your house. Uh, What a privilege it is uh, uh, to represent you in this world. We thank you, God, for today, for your blessings. Oh, so many blessings. And all the unrest that we see in the world. We thank you, God, that, that you are God of peace. We ask now, Lord, that as we um, open your word, um, that your presence will be uh, felt by each of us, and that our hearts will be open. And I pray, Lord, that, um, that as I speak, um, that I'm a vessel for you. I'm just a normal guy. but I'm praying for your Holy Spirit. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, By the way, there's some new technology I'm using. Uh, This is a clicker, right? So if you see me do that, um, I'm not throwing anything, right? I'm just clicking. All right. So, uh, hey. Uh, So I'm actually really glad the NBA Finals is over. Really glad. I'm not a Lakers fan. I, I, they've, they've never done anything to me personally. I just don't like them. Right? And, amen. Yeah, I had a, had a clap. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm a Spurs fan. And we Spurs fans, uh, we think that we have a rivalry with the Lakers. Now, Laker folks probably don't agree, right? We're, Spurs, are the only, Spurs fans are the only ones who think we have a rivalry with the Lakers. Uh, but I'm a Spurs fan, and it's, and it's very natural for me to be a Spurs fan, right? I'm, I grew up in San Antonio, um, and that's the only game in town, right? That's the show. Go see a Spurs game. 
But there's some interesting things about the San Antonio Spurs that also makes them, uh, gives them some appeal to me. One is, if you see up here, uh, they are, the San Antonio Spurs were kind of at the forefront of this movement to have a basketball team that's international, that has a great deal of diversity. And the people you see here, these are the core players for the Spurs. Uh, on your left is, is Manu Ginobili. He's from Argentina. And by the way, he was hurt this year. If he would have been healthy, the Spurs would have won it all. <laughs> right? In the middle, you have Tim Duncan. He's from the U.S. Virgin Islands. Um, on the right, uh, he normally looks a lot, you know, better than that. That's Tony Parker. Uh, for those of you who don't follow basketball, this is the guy that's married to Eva Longoria. Okay? Uh, and he's from France. And so... Uh, and so we have this very culturally diverse team, and, and, they, and they still do well. They still, they still uh, have a, a great deal of success. The other reason, another reason why I um, find the Spurs appealing is because they're kind of a small market team. And we Spurs fans, we feel like uh, that no one wants the Spurs to win. The league doesn't want the Spurs to win. The TV networks don't want the Spurs to win because they're a small market. Um, so we have this complex kind of thing going. But I, I'm, 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 it makes them an underdog, right? So I, I like that. It makes them kind of an underdog. Um, and finally, I, I, I like the Spurs because um, they're one of these teams that has been described as playing the right way, right? Very fundamentally sound. They do it the right way. They've had a great deal of, a great deal of success, even though it's a small market and they have all of this, this diversity. Well, um, my small group has been studying, uh, just finished studying the book of Philippians. And it turns out that there are some similarities between the San Antonio Spurs and the church at Philippi. <laughs> really? Really? Um, yeah. So, you know, the church at Philippi, it had some diversity about it. What we find out in Acts is that two of the, two of the early members of that Philippian church uh, one was a successful businesswoman named Lydia, right? She was a, uh, from Thyatira. A another of these early members of that church is a jailer, right? Remember the story where, where Paul is put in prison uh, along with Barnabas, and there's an earthquake, the doors to the jails open, the chains fall off all the prisoners, and no one goes anywhere. And the jailer says, I'm going to hang out with this guy, right? This guy's the one I'm going to hang out with. So he and uh, Lydia represent two of the early members of that church. So they had a fair amount of diversity, at least they had some. Um, I guess you could also call them a small market church. Um, they were, uh, it, it didn't have the grandeur of Rome, right? It didn't have the uh, religious tradition as Jerusalem might have. It was a military outpost, Philippi was. And it wasn't a Jewish hotbed. In fact, when Paul first meets Lydia, uh, she meet, he meets Lydia in a prayer meeting that's held outside of the town, which kind of indicates that they didn't have enough Jewish people to, uh, to form a synagogue, to put together a synagogue to hold in that city, right? So it wasn't a Jewish hotbed. And, and yet, through all of that, the church seemed to do things the right way. It was a successful church. You wouldn't have expected it given its background, but this, this church was a faithful church. It was a supportive church. Uh, it had, uh, it sent Paul out as if Paul was one of their missionaries, right? When Paul was in prison in Rome, they sent their pastor to minister to Paul, right? Very faithful church. 
And Paul writes back in this letter uh, to this, this Philippian church, uh, he says a lot of things, but one of the things he emphasizes is this idea of unity, right? You, this Philippian church needs to have unity, right? And we see that um, in this passage here. Um, if therefore, and this is Paul speaking here, if therefore there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Paul is emphasizing to this church that they should be united. They should have unity. And, and when Paul makes this, you know, encourages this of the Philippian church, he's not just talking to the Philippian church. He's also talking to us. We at Windsor Road, um, should be a church in unity. Right? Now, I'll, I'll let you in on something about myself. Uh, I do a fair amount of research uh, in, my, in my real job. And uh, the way I approach that is I usually try to identify an issue. After I identify an issue, I think about why is this issue is important, right? Kind of give some motivation for looking at the issue. And then I try to come up with some implications for this issue, right? What am I going to do about this issue? And so that's kind of what I'm going to go about, go, go about doing this morning, where the issue is unity. Right? And again, it's not just unity for the church at Philippi, but it's unity uh, for us. All right, so a good place to start uh, is in thinking about what is unity. What is Paul talking about when he talks about unity? And I think it's easy to get started by saying what, it's, what Paul is probably not talking about when he talks about unity. There's a real, I don't know, temptation to think about unity as being synonymous with harmony or for harmony to be the goal of unity. But there, I can think of at least three reasons why Paul is probably not talking about unity with the goal of harmony. Uh, one is, uh, harmony as a goal doesn't necessarily foster growth, right? I'm reminded of a sermon that uh, I, I uh, was part of, wasn't, I didn't do it, I listened to it, um, and the pastor made, gave the illustration of a washing machine. And the pastor said, you know, if you have a washing machine and you stick a dirty shirt in the washing machine, it's only going to get clean with a little agitation, right? And so in, in order to move from one state to the next, we often have to go through this agitation. You know, that's kind of a law of nature. You know, people, things grow. Sometimes there are even violent acts that occur, right, as things grow. So harmony as a goal wouldn't seem to be what Paul has in mind for unity because sometimes it doesn't foster growth. In addition, harmony can be accomplished by ignoring the truth, right? Um, and, you know, I've been to a church where, um, where there, were some, there were symbols that were conspicuously missing. You know, no crosses, no Bibles, and the point seemed to be that, and actually wasn't, didn't seem to be, it had it on their website, that they took away some of these symbols because they were concerned about how people would react. Well, in my estimation, that would be an example of a situation where 
harmony as a goal, right, is kind of superseding truth. And so I don't think that's what Paul has in mind. And finally, and finally, Christ's example says, you know, harmony is probably not the goal, right? When Dan offered the, the message last week, he, uh, he talked about how, you know, Jesus said some things and did some things that didn't go over too well, right? They did everything but provide harmony. They disrupted harmony. And people would say, you know, if you just back off the deity thing, you know, we might accept that. But no, that wasn't Christ's goal. His goal was not harmony, right? And so in thinking about unity, what I'd say is it's probably not harmony, and harmony is not the goal of unity. So then what is the goal of unity? Um, and Paul gives us a hint. Paul gives us a hint in the passage that we read where he says that we should be united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And so Paul's idea of unity is a unity that's purposeful, right? There's a purpose behind this unity. And fortunately, uh, Jesus provides us what that purpose should be. Um, in, uh, John records a prayer uh, that Jesus is offering to the Father. Um, and in that prayer, he's speaking to, uh, speaking about um, the disciples and the disciples, the people whom the disciples have touched and directed to Christ. And, and this is what Jesus said. Well, you know, this technology thing is wonderful. Uh, this is what Jesus said. Let me just give you the, there we go. Uh, I thought about putting this in red so you would believe Jesus said it, right? Uh, but the purpose of unity, this is what Jesus says in his prayer. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may, may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, may they be brought to complete unity. Wow, that sounds familiar. Why? To let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's the purpose of unity. The purpose of unity is so that we can glorify God so that others can know Christ. That's the purpose of unity. That's the purpose of unity for, that Paul is talking about to the church of Philippi. That's the purpose of unity in our congregation here. Okay? All right. So what does this unity look like? Paul offers some indicators of what unity looks like in a church. And one of the things Paul says is that unity in a church, there's humility of members. Uh, they show compassion toward others. Now, I think, I, you know, I, I want to emphasize this word show uh, compassion, not feel compassion, not just, well, I feel sorry for them. But show compassion, that means act, do some things for folks right? That's what it means. Got a little Texas on you with the folks thing. I'm sorry. Um, but Paul brings this up in, the, in, his, in, his, in his letter to the Philippians. He says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Um, Paul is saying that if you're a church in unity, then you should have compassion towards others in that congregation, right? That's, that's important. And we should show compassion. Again, not just feel compassion. We should show compassion. 
Another indicator that Paul uh, speaks of here is that churches in unity should confront conflict. And you know, we all have some conflict. Folks in churches have conflicts because we're human, right? So we're going to have conflict. But Paul actually identifies a conflict that's occurring in the Philippian church between two women. And Paul's message is to the church of Philippi is help these women resolve that conflict so that you guys can carry on with the, the faith gospel, the gospel of Christ, right? Confront conflict. He didn't say excommunicate them because they're not getting along. He said resolve it. Resolve that conflict. Now, how do you resolve conflict? Well, we could speak a long time about that. But I just read a book uh, not too long ago, um, and the book is called Peacemaker. It's written by a guy named Ken Sandy. And it really made me think about this idea of confronting conflict. And what Sandy suggests is that, um, is that for the Christian, when we're confronted with conflict, we should make conflict an opportunity to glorify God. That's what we should do. Rather than being people who are trying to win the conflict, right, or avoid the conflict, we should be taking stewardship of the conflict. We should be stewards of conflict, making that conflict something that God can use, right? That's what Sandy's point is. And as a church family, what that means is that, is that when we're confronted with conflict as a Christian, our first reaction should not be, I'm going to find a new church. I'm getting out of here. That's not what our first reaction should be. Our first reaction should be, how can I take stewardship of this conflict to glorify God in it? That's what our reaction should be. Okay? All right, I know this is Father's Day, and a burning question might be, why in the world is he talking about church unity on Father's Day? Uh, I anticipated that question. <laughs> and the reason why, the reason why um, this, is an appropriate, this is an appropriate message for Father's Day is because the unity that Paul describes for the church of Philippi, that same unity should be in our families, right? Uh, uh, Paul, in Ephesians, in Ephesians, Paul says that unity in marriage should illustrate the love of Christ. Unity in marriage should illustrate the love of Christ. And so, the unity in our families, we should display the same purposeful unity that Paul is talking about. So that means that we should have humility and compassion with those in our family. And we should, again, show compassion, not just feel compassion, okay? And we should confront conflict. Our first reaction should not be to head for the hills, right? Um, even if they tell you to head for the hills, don't go, right? You should confront that conflict, and each of you, not taking sides, each person in that conflict should take stewardship of that conflict and say, how can I use this conflict as an opportunity to glorify God? All right. So I'm going to, uh, 
um, kind of rehash things that we've gone through so far. By the way, I teach a lot, and so some of the things I'm doing, I do in class, so bear with me. All right, so what we've talked about so far is this idea that Paul wants unity, encourages the church at Philippi to have unity within their church. And that message for the Philippian church is our message today for our church. Also, we learn that what Paul has in mind for unity is not this unity that has a goal of harmony, but it's a unity that's purposeful. It's a unity whose purpose is to glorify God so that others can know Christ. And we know that this same unity that we see in the church um, should also be a unity that we see in our families. So hopefully what I've done is I've provided some motivation for increasing the unity in our churches and families. It's important. Okay? So I guess the uh, next question is, how do we do that? How do we grow in unity? Well, um, Paul, you know, he's great. Uh, because in his, in his letter to the Philippians, he also gives us a hint about how we might accomplish this. He says, um, only conduct yourselves, and I think, yeah, in Philippians, just give you the reference there. Uh, he says that, says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. One mind. Well, how, do you, how do you have one mind? That's kind of confusing. How do you have one mind? Until you read in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, where he reminds us that as believers, we share the mind of Christ. We share the mind of God as believers. And what Paul is calling the church at Philippi and us to do is to rely on the mind of God. We should rely on the mind of God. Well, what does that mean? It means, and I see Virgil in here, it means we rely on the lordship of Christ. That's what it means. We rely on the lordship of Christ. Now, that's not easy to do. Um, and in fact, as I thought about it, um, the only thing I could think of was a word that we don't like to use uh, that gives us the heebie-jeebies. And, and I guess that's why we don't see it in church very much. Right? And it's this word, repent. Hmm, repent. Right? That's, that's old school, isn't it? Repent, that's old school. Well, let me tell you what I mean by repent. Um, and what I mean by repent is, uh, I read this book, uh, Timothy Keller's The Reason for God. Uh, it's a great book, by the way. And in it, he has a definition of repentance that re really resonates with me. Uh, uh, Tim Keller says, repentance, then, is confessing the things besides God himself that you, or we, have been relying on for our hope, our significance, and our security. Right? Repentance is confessing the things besides God himself that we have been relying on for our hope, our significance, and our security. What are some of those things? Well, you know, as I thought about it, there's some things that are 
that are pretty easy to put on the list because those are wrong things, right? Having an ungodly relationship outside of my marriage because someone makes me feel special, uh, no argument there, right? That's on the list, right? If I'm a part of something like that, I need to confess that and get out, right? That's an easy one. But there's some other things that may not be as easy, uh, things that aren't necessarily just on the face of it wrong things, but might fall into the category of misplaced things, right? Things that are out of sync, out of priority. Um, one of those things would be your career or your job, right? It's great to have those things. It's great to have a job. I'm glad I have a job, right? But if I rely on that job for my hope, and my security, and my significance, then I need to confess that. Because that's, that's the Lord's, right? That's where the Lord should have that, right? Um, if it's my bank account, right? If it's my bank account, I need to confess that. If it's my bank account that gives me security, if I'm relying on it for my security, I need to confess that. And as each of us individually grow in the extent to which we rely on the Lordship of Christ, we can't help, um, we can't help but grow in our unity as a congregation. As each individual person says, I'm going to take responsibility and rely on the Lordship of Christ, then as a community of believers, we'll grow in unity. As a family of believers, you'll grow in unity. Now, um, this is not a long message, right? And just like harmony is not the goal of unity, my goal is not to take up all of your time, right? I'm going to lay out what I think God has on my heart, and then I'm done, okay? Um, but one of the things that, that this means, as I was uh, preparing for this message, um, it occurred to me, um, you know, it's really easy for me to, I don't know, think about my relationship with Christ. Think about my faith walk, um, the extent to which I rely on the Lordship of Christ as a very personal thing. It's a personal thing, right? This is between me and God. And what preparing this message highlighted to me is that while that relationship with God, my relationship with God, my reliance on his lordship, while that is a personal responsibility, we're kidding ourselves if we think it only has implications for our lives, right? The extent to which we individually rely on the lordship of Christ has an impact on the unity of the church you belong to and on your family, right? No two ways about it. No way to get around it. It's not just about us. Even though we want to think that. We want to believe that I'll take responsibility and therefore I'll, you know, when I'm ready, I'll, you know. But it's not about that. I think it's clear that, that our reliance on the Lordship of Christ matters to folks that we love. Okay? Now, we're going to take communion. And I'm going to pray for us, uh, but as I pray for us, uh, pray for our communion, I want you to be thinking about 
what are those things, those things in my life that besides God, I rely on for my hope, for my significance, for my security. And I want us to to confess those things and ask God to rearrange our priorities, help us to rearrange our priorities so that we can always put the Lordship of Christ above all else. Okay? All right, bow with me in a word of prayer, please. Father in heaven, this is a great day. This is a day when we celebrate fathers, and their families. And I know that I'm blessed as a father. But I also know, Lord, that you have called us to be in unity as a church family and as a family. The blessing of a family that you've given us is not just so that we could have good people to hang out with, but we, we should reflect your love. I pray, Lord, that um, as all of us reach down in our hearts and see what we rely on for our hope and significance and security, that you would encourage us, that we would feel encouraged in knowing that through your sacrifice, we can rely on you. We love you, God, and we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.